Welcome to the C3 Church podcast. Here at church, we are passionate about people and helping them in their walk with God. We hope this Sunday message speaks to you today. Hello, my name is Sarah and I'm on team here at C3 and it is so lovely to be with you today. I have the privilege of continuing the Chosen series here for Church Online UK, and I am so excited to see what God is going to share through me with you today. So the episode that I have chosen for my message is um, the Chosen Season 2, Episode 1, which is called Thunder. Now, this story is really about James and John, who are the brothers, they're brothers with one another, and they're the sons of Zebedee. Now, it starts with them plowing a field, and they're pretty convinced that the reason that they have been tasked with plowing this field is because it is a privilege as the leaders of the group. So they spend a lot of time talking to one another about why it is that they may have been chosen to do this. And alongside that, they have a very interesting conversation about how much they don't like the Samaritans. You see, they and Jesus and the other disciples are currently in a Samaritan village where Jesus has recently done the miracle where he's spoken to the woman at the well and she's become a believer. And so now he's speaking to the Samaritan people. And James and John are not fans of the Samaritans at all. In fact, they think it's quite frustrating and a bit of a waste of time that they're in the Samaritan village. So the story goes on to say that uh, basically Jesus, in their assumption, is kind of assigning them leadership and making them responsible. And so they start to build plans. The other disciples are not super keen to go along with it, but they go to Jesus and they say, look, we know you've put us in charge and everything, and so we just have some things to discuss with you. And at that point, some Samaritans come along and they're rude to Jesus, and they throw some stones and they spit at them, and James and John are furious, absolutely furious. And the way that the Bible tells this story, and you can find it in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56, it says, Jesus had sent messages ahead, into the Samaritan village, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading to Jerusalem. And so when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said to the Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Do you want us to rain down fire on this group of people because they were rude to you? That's the context that James and John are living in. They are so fervently passionate and protective of who Jesus is, proud of the fact that he is Jewish, that he has come to save the Jews, that they don't have any grace for these other people who are fundamentally an enemy of the Jews to be rude to Jesus. But in verse 55, and very clearly in the chosen episode, Jesus turns and rebukes them. He says to them, no, (laughs) this is not what we're doing with the power of God. We're not going to destroy groups of people because they don't agree with us. That is the exact opposite reason that we are here. In Mark 3 verse 17, it says that Jesus called them the sons of thunder. And the way that the Chosen series articulates it is Jesus has observed their wild, powerful, and potentially dangerous personalities, and he has thought that that reminds him of a thunderstorm. And so they become known as the Sons of Thunder. But let's talk about this attitude that James and John have. You see, it all comes down to the fact that they don't think that anybody else outside of the Jewish people really deserves Jesus' love, compassion, or forgiveness. They're not the holy people 
and Jesus has come to save the Jews, and quite frankly, they don't want to share. The narrative that the Chosen weaves is interesting because in the same episode, we also have Jesus in the Samaritan village sharing a particular parable that has become extremely popular in um, modern Christian life. That parable is also found in, in Luke in chapter 15, verse 3, and it goes like this. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the last, last sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What a contrast. On the one hand, we have those who are closest to Jesus raining down thunder and judgment on people who have offended him. And on the other, we have Jesus recommending leaving the majority of the righteous to search and find the one sinner, the one person that is outside of the group. As a result of this episode, I have two questions I'd like to ask you. The first question is, how's your attitude? Every year, I like to pick a word for the year. I started this in 2016 when I did my year of joy. And the point of that year was to make sure that I could find joy in the mundane things of life, the big things, the little things, the exciting things, the boring things. It also meant that in hard times, I was able to find God's joy there too. I felt like that was a really turning, big turning point in my life. Like I started to see the goodness of God in everything, the hard and the easy, the fun and the difficult, the tragic and the important. And so I've started to then grow and build a bit more of, of my relationship with God through this thing that I think he wants me to focus on every year. Well, this year, I decided that my, my year was going to be the year of discomfort. I know, it's not exactly a fun word, is it? Why would I choose discomfort? Well, in reality, I am a fairly positive person. I'm quite encouraging. I like to see the good things in people and in the things that are happening around us. But sometimes that means that I would avoid or suppress the negative feelings that I was having. I would avoid having confrontational conversations that might lead to discomfort. I would try and make life as enjoyable as possible. And as a result, I would adapt to what I would think is the best environment rather than dealing with maybe what was the reality within me. And the thing that I wanted to challenge in me was to realize that sometimes it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be irritated. It's okay to be frustrated. Those things do not necessarily lead to something bad. Sometimes they can actually be the thing that pushes you into something better. I used to really pride myself on saying I was high excitement and low disappointment. I could look forward to things and not be too disappointed if they didn't work out. And I think for the most part that is true, but there were definitely times when I would choose to not be disappointed because I felt like maybe I didn't deserve to be disappointed. Maybe my expectations shouldn't, you know, like they can be high, but to really hope that those things come to fruition or to be sad that they don't is something that doesn't fit into my world. 
Well, as a result of that, I've really tried this year to be a bit more comfortable with the uncomfortable, sitting in some disappointment, allowing myself to be a bit frustrated or irritated. One of the worst things for me is if I perceive that somebody else is irritated or upset with me. I hate it. I really hate it. And a lot of the time, I'll try my best to rectify that. But I've learned that sometimes, actually, I can do that to my detriment. That maybe that person's irritation, frustration, sadness isn't about me. Maybe it's about them. Sometimes, of course, it's about me, and, and I think we should be teachable, and I think we should seek forgiveness, and we should seek, uh, seek clarity in relationship. But sometimes, it's actually got nothing to do with me, and it's not my business to try and resolve. But as a result of kind of learning this about myself, allowing myself to kind of embrace some of the negative emotions or to feel frustrated or disappointed or hurt or, or anything like that, as a result of that, my behavior changes sometimes, which is something that I have always tried to avoid. And so now people in my world are starting to experience a slightly different version of me, a version that sometimes acts like she's upset, acts like she's irritated or overwhelmed or frustrated. And if I'm not careful, it can impact my attitude. Like maybe I have built up a tolerance for feeling frustrated, but now, I'm letting it come out of me, and if I'm not careful, it affects my behavior in a way that's not good for me or the people around me. So I'm learning there's this balance. It's okay to be frustrated, it's okay to be passionate, it's okay to be hurt or disappointed. You wanna be able to put enough trust in people that they can disappoint you, because that's what real relationship is. And then you forgive them, or they apologize, or you get over it, or whatever, and that's okay. I'm learning that just because I feel frustrated, it doesn't mean that I love somebody any less. And, really importantly, I'm learning the vice versa. That just because somebody's not in a great mood with me, it doesn't mean they don't love me. And I guess that's probably always been the fear. And I wonder, with the likes of James and John, if their fear was, if they shared Jesus with these people outside, maybe there wouldn't be enough room for them too. But thankfully, with Jesus, there is enough room for everybody. So I think this attitude issue, this feeling thing coming out in behavior is what's happening with James and John. They don't feel like the Samaritans deserve Jesus, Jesus's love and grace. And so when they reject him, they're angered even more. Now, personally, I think raining fire and brimstone down on a group of people because they've been a bit offensive is a slight over-exaggeration, maybe not a the punishment really fitting the crime in that situation. And I think Jesus agrees. Jesus reflects that in the Chosen episode for sure. And he notes that the guys are being like a storm, hard to control and potentially dangerous. Their attitude is misplaced. It's not their place to determine who gets access to Jesus, who deserves Jesus' attention. And it is not a reflection of him when they are angered by it. As Christians, we really have to be careful about our attitude. We need to make sure that the way that we're behaving is coming from a place of grace and not a place of judgment. God has not called us to judge others. He has called us to love them, and it is through the Holy Spirit that other people will feel conviction around the things that they should and shouldn't do. And he's given us scripture to guide us. 
It says in 2 Timothy that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, um, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I have chosen, in this case, a very old version of the Bible. And the principle of what this means here is that if we are going to reflect God, then we need to make sure that we spend time in his word learning how to be like Jesus, not going around and making sure everybody else is doing the right thing. Focusing on how we grow is going to make us the person that is going to be able to impact the lives of other people. The thing about having a bad attitude, especially towards others, is that it opens us up to correction and judgment as well. James and John were not honored for their judgment. They were rebuked for it. They felt that they were in, in the right, but in reality, in reality, their job was to show unconditional love and to be confident in their own faith. So, how's your attitude? Do you get frustrated by the behaviors or lack of spiritual awareness of those around you? How does that outwork itself? Do you have grace for the lost? This brings us to my next question. Have you spotted the sheep that got away? You know, Jesus encouraged his disciples to be on the lookout for the lost. Those who didn't know him were of his utmost concern. And he has encouraged us as Christians to do the same. Our job is to be on the lookout for people who don't know Jesus, who need his love, his compassion, and his grace. I moved into my house about 18 months ago. Um, it's part of a new build development and so everybody in the area was new. We decided last autumn that we were gonna have a street party to get to know one another a bit. Now it did fall over Halloween and so as a result it was Halloween themed. And while that's not my personal preference, I felt like if I didn't go on the principle of how I felt about the decor, that may not leave a great impression of me to my neighbors. So I went to the party. And I ended up chatting to one of my neighbors who is a single mum with a couple of kids, one of whom has autism. And when I talked to her a bit about what I do for a living, that I work at the church, um, I'm in Cambridge, I spend a lot of time doing creative things. She said that she and her family are not particularly religious, but even if they were, she knows that there's no place in the community for her because of her autistic child. Um, she, knew, she feels that, and she'd been told, I think, that the way that her daughter behaved was inappropriate to a public setting, and so it wouldn't be comfortable for her to come. Because we were in conversation, I talked to her a bit about church online, about some of the other, way that we, other ways that we support people with additional needs, um, about the Champions Club and various other things that we do at the church that help parents who have children who might need extra support. And then we continued talking about other things, and we played a few games, and we had a great evening. And when it came to the end and we were all saying, you know, good night and stuff like that, she said to me that she'd never spoken to a Christian before who hadn't immediately judged her circumstances, commented on the fact that she was a single mother, talked to her about how she needed to rein her child in or support her in some way. And I was so saddened in that moment. I thought, the church has failed this lady. The church should be present. The community should be open and willing. And then at the same time, I realized that that is exactly what God was putting me in that place to do. 
It's not about waiting for an organization to come along and fix the situation. It's about reflecting Jesus in our day-to-day lives. And intentionally or unintentionally, I had shown her a part of the church that she hadn't seen yet. And I felt really convicted that my responsibility in my community was to continue to show that love of Jesus. No matter how I feel or what I think about people's circumstances, it's irrelevant. My job is to be a loving, caring, compassionate neighbor who wants to encourage people to know the love of God because it's life-changing. It's a gift. It's not something that I should be keeping with inside me. It's something that I should be telling the world about. And we can get a bit self-conscious about how we share our faith or who we share our faith to. But really, Jesus is excited about the one. And Jesus is going to celebrate the bringing in of the one way more than he's going to celebrate the fact that the 99 are already here. It's not to take away from the being a part of the 99, but imagine being able to use that confidence in our own faith to tell other people about the love of Jesus. As Christians, we have two choices. We can sit in relief that we're saved and then potentially be in judgment of others for their lack of faith or their lack of understanding or the way that they're living their lives. Or we can take the grace that we've received and search for those who need it. My encouragement to you today is to adjust your attitude. Make it more to the likes of Jesus, whatever that looks like. And we can all grow. I'm not saying that you're sitting there in a bad attitude. I don't feel like I've got one, but I do know that there are times when I get frustrated, disappointed, hurt, irritated, and perhaps I behave in a way that may not show the grace of God in a way that I should. Regardless of how much or little somebody else deserves the love and grace of God, we all have access to it because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. You never know who in your world needs to feel that love, who needs to experience that kindness and compassion. So don't waste the opportunity. Make the most of each day to show the love of Jesus to the people around you. And for all you know, you could be part of bringing the one into the fold with the 99. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you died on the cross for us. I thank you that you love us all so much that you would go searching for each and every one of us. I pray that you give us eyes to see the people who are lost and who are in need of you. I pray that you help us to have grace for the people around us and the way that they live their lives. Give us personal convictions so that we may be a good example to those around us who may live their lives differently. Help us to adjust our attitudes, to be present to your calling, to hear you as you encourage us in how we should live our lives. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the C3 podcast. This message has spoken to you today in some way. We would love to know. Reach out to us at hello at the C3.uk. And if you want to extend the reach of what we do here, why not consider giving by going to the C3.uk forward slash giving. And as always, subscribe to our channel and share this episode with a friend. We hope to see you soon.